and he said that she's a proper con artist. She's always ripping people off, but he won't give me her address. Come off it, ma'am. No, I'm not making this up. It's true. Come on, do you really think she's clever enough to make all of this up? Thank you. Hang on. All right. Maybe it is mad enough to be true. Well, unless the police believe it's true, it doesn't matter. Because this time next week, I'll be sewing mailbags. Come on, something will turn up. Mm. Yeah, more charges, probably. Knowing my luck, I'll probably get done for kidnapping Shergar as well. <laughs> The abortion, the diabetes, the eating disorder. 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 And welcome to episode 229 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that's impressed that Sam's research for making this case to be allowed to pursue restorative justice seemed to include beating the arse out of 1998's classic Corey. I'm Gavin. And I enjoy standing on ladders taking pictures of books. And other things. What other things? Lithographs. Oh. That's perhaps the... Football stubs from the 1940s. Say it properly. <laughs> Football stubs from the 1940s. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that. Nor was I expecting that <laughs> intro. So it has been a tale of the unexpected so far. Well, as more, unex- would say. more unexpected than David the Gnome on the loo. <laughs> let's, not, let's not tread that path again. <laughs> One week was quite enough. Yes. How are you this week? I'm I'm good, you know. I've you know doing this new job, which I love. Oh yes, by all means, explain which that. Which I intro. love, which I love more than my other job, which is soul deadening and makes me want to cry. Yeah, but it comes with a four hundred one k. Right. <laughs> so I stick. <laughs> things we do for the things we do financial security in later life. Well, less financial insecurity in later right. life. The things we do to keep capitalism afloat. Right. No chance of getting a 401k at the new job? No. It's a very small... I'm very get, clear about that. I get paper checks. Oh, wow. I get paper checks. It sounds like you've got a job in the 1940s. <laughs> that I then have to use my phone to to deposit into my checking account i've never had a job that did that even in 1990 i never had a job that did that you had you had direct deposit in 1990 Mm -hmm. wow that's impressive yeah and i don't think it was anything new at that point it was fairly new but you know it's a very small business there are four employees right and that includes me and then some temporary employees that come in from time to time when furniture needs to be moved ah the the muscle yeah is any of them called Kirk? No, his name is Jason. <laughs> and I remember the him. The one that we're all thinking of. Okay. I remember him fondly because he was the one who helped me put that canoe I bought for Steli a couple of years ago on <sighs> the top of my car. I've got him to thank for that. <laughs> he is- also helped me get the refrigerator that's in our garage into the U-Haul I rented to go and pick up the refrigerator I bought to put in our garage. No, the refrigerator at least gets some use. Yes. The canoe will eventually get some use. It's been, <laughs> yeah, right. 
It's been, I haven't even taken my kayak out of the rafters in over a year. Anyway, back to the fun stuff. <laughs> well, define so, fun. So yeah, I have a, a job in an auction house. I'm their book curator and I'm, I'm putting together a, a book auction and I'm quite excited about it. You've given yourself quite the fancy title here. A book curator. Yes, for an auction house. Sounds like a, a character from a Johnny Depp horror movie. Do not say that man's name in my presence. Is it the Seventh Gate? Was that for that one? He's, was? he's slowly transforming into my Aunt Pat. <laughs> I think we're all no, slowly transforming into your Aunt Pat. No offence to Aunt Pat. No. I do love her. She gave me a bottle of Cedrum Silver for my 40th birthday. <laughs> She's a delight. Yeah, so it's, 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 and it's, it's nice to get back into, uh, back into the auction house life in a, in a, a bit more officious role than I did in my early 20s, where I was the girl who would bring things up and hold it up for people to bid on. Uh-huh. And occasionally when it was vintage clothing, I would wear the vintage clothing and stand up and, and model the clothing. Oh, very fancy. Yeah. In, including this, this little 70s number, which is basically a, a bikini top and, and some bell-bottom gold sequined pants. Wow. Yeah. I had to tape myself into it, if you can imagine. <laughs> You're imagining it right now, aren't you? Is this getting us anywhere nearer to establishing <laughs> how you are? So I'm good. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's been good, good. it's been delightful, and I'm really happy. And you know, this was the week that I started actually taking, moving from research to to taking pictures and and deciding how I want the auction to look and what 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 things I want on the front page and all that fun stuff. Oh, so, nice one. Yes, it is delightful. How are you? I'm alright. Yeah, you're still in the soul crushing job with no out. Well, I guess podcasting is your outlet. Yeah, and death. <laughs> and your guitars. 32 years in the soul-crushing job. Yeah. It's more soul-crushing now than it than it was. It's the... always been quite soul-crushing. Yeah. I saw something somewhere that uh, suggested that people change jobs every five years. Uh-huh. So I'm only like six <laughs> jobs behind then. <laughs> to be fair, I've had lots of jobs doing working for the same-ish company. Right, doing very different day, things. Doing... Well, slightly different things. You're not filing anymore. Uh, no, no. The, no they learned their lesson. They learned their lesson when I was like smoking <laughs> whilst filing lots of very dry paper. When you were seventeen, mm. you were filing. You're not filing anymore. No, no. And technically, they're not the same company anymore, right? No, technically not. Yeah. So there's that. But you still have like gobs of vacation time. Three weeks left to take, and the next month and a half right. and that's including the time i've already taken off for christmas you so might as well just happen you, you might as well just take the next three weeks off then yeah well again it's not going to happen yeah well, it should is what i'm saying yes it should and it won't but anyway. it won't because thanks capitalism shall we preamble my dear yes please give us some of that capitalism core news <laughs> yes capitalism core news capitalism core news Sue Cleaver is killing it on I'm a Celebrity. She really is. Representing for all of us type 2 diabetes girls. 
as folks spot her diabetes patch, and the show explains why she's exempt from the eating challenges. Oh, yes. I see you, fellow sugar level battler, <laughs> girlfriend. And according to boy George, her farts smell of charcoal. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't think charcoal necessarily smells bad. I didn't realize boy George was on it. Yeah. How's he doing? Uh, he has his demons. <laughs> he also looks like my Aunt Pat. It's getting there. <laughs> if only your Aunt Pat was to get a, a peace sign tattoo on her temple, then <laughs> the, the, the transformation would be complete. I just remember him, when the very sad pictures of him when he was picking up trash in a jumpsuit. Well, yeah, he's had a history of uh, handcuffing people to radiators, for which he served his time. Yes, and doesn't do that anymore. Let's hope not. I think I think he's sort of took a look at himself and yeah. kind of cleaned himself up his a bit after that. His karma chameleon caught, <laughs> caught up with him. Yes, indeed. Yes. But uh, yeah, Sue's, Sue's wonderful and is exactly as you would imagine her to be. Absolutely. I just hope that the introduction of Two very divisive characters in the shape of Matt Hancock and Sean Walsh. Well, who's Sean Walsh? I know about Matt Hancock. <sighs> Sean Walsh was, is a comedian who oh. was on Strictly and who Say fell no who fell for the... No, nothing to do with that. Well, I don't think so. Fell for the curse of Strictly, where he and his dance partner ended up having a bit of a frisson. Uh-huh. While the two of them were otherwise married to other people, well, yes, betrothed to others. Mm. So he he was cancelled for that, mm-hmm. and this is, I guess, his redemption comeback right. sort of thing. So okay, so nothing, only slightly me tooy sort of thing because they were they weren't technically like it wasn't that comedian, no, or or that other comedian. I think no. it's sort of slightly different kind of comedian, and he's not racist. Or transphobic. I'm not. I'm not an, an expert on his like that other u- on his oeuvre. or that comedian over there. No, or, or that one that's in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> very ashamed of himself. It's uh, yeah. He's um. But the the challenges and the trials seem to be all going to Matt Hancock and to Sean Walsh and to Boy George who was on it tonight mm-hmm. eating the. Well, he didn't have to eat any of the vaginas or the anuses or the penises. That was all Matt Hancock that got to eat all of them. But he was eating similarly disgusting stuff. Right. But I think a lot of people go in this to do the challenges and right. to challenge themselves and, and their fears and all that sort of stuff. So I think people like Chris Moyles, who's on it, is probably a little somewhat reticent that he hasn't had a chance to do one of the trials yet. Right. And it seems that Matt Hancock is going to be the one that gets to do them all. Right. So well, anyway, Sue Cleaver. It sounds is, like he deserves to eat lots of yeah, lots and, of and Sue Cleaver is wonderful. Vaginas. Yes, even and though her farts apparently smell charcoal. That sounds delightful, as opposed to farts. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She said that before she wanted to do this before her sixtieth birthday is kind of a, you know, bef- you know, do fun things before I get too old, sort of thing and challenging yeah. herself she, so. she told a wonderful story about her her adoption story uh-huh and she said afterwards that she wasn't really planning on saying any personal things right around the campfire yeah it just comes out it just comes out it just so comes out it's worth watching yeah if just for that just for that just for sue cleaver mm-hmm. uh this week we welcome a balding bearded scotsman 
to the cobbles who wears glasses. No, Gav hasn't flown back to the UK for a guest spot. It's Gordon Peaston, whose soap fans may recognize from EastEnders, where he played Trevor Barnes, an addiction counselor. That kind of pisses over five jokes that I have in my notes, but that's fine. <laughs> I will still tell them. Of course you will, because why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's, it's almost like they hired him just for you. Because I was like, yeah, Scottish, right. Beard, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spectacles, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Bald, mm-hmm. Okay. Do I look like that guy? <laughs> Not really. Not really. His, your, your chin is more pointy. He's more roundy. And you're more pink. Yeah. You're one of those pink Scotsmen. <laughs> yes, I am. That my mother warned me about. <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> he also has fewer tattoos. He does. I'm well, assuming. Unless so there's far. unless there's something on under that robe going on that I don't want to know about. And well, your robe, yes. His robe, no. Thank yes. you for clarifying. <laughs> and finally, get ready to be disappointed as Corey's schedule will be disrupted by the World Cup. Oof, much much your disruptor. Yes. But so far only one week of the World Cup disruption has been announced. So mm. Expect more. Yeah, it's on for a while, month. While so. people die on the fields of Qatar attempting to play soccer. And in... 45 degree heat. Yeah, sure. Well, it, what is it? 45 like, degrees in the rest of the world. 107 or something here. I think it's hotter than that. But who knows? Who knows? Because I will not be going. I don't think I'll be watching it. Yeah. I think I've, I think I've, I've decided. Kind of being put off by... By human rights violations. Just FIFA. Yeah. That's that's not great. Yeah. And that's it's something that I look forward to in every four years is the World Cup. I kinda of almost measure my life in World Cups. Uh-huh. But I, I don't know, I just don't, I'm just not feeling it this thing. Watching the World Cup with a bunch of Germans. In, in Scotland. Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's kind of like the Olympics, because not very many people watch the Olympics in China either, kind of for the same reasons. And it just kind of feels like the, the it, it kind of feels like the only thing we have left to hold on to to bring the world together it's is Coronation Eurovision. Street. Oh, Eurovision, yeah, and Coronation Street. Eh. <laughs> anyway, for the week starting November twenty first, there will be no Corey that Monday. Corey will air on Thursday the twenty fourth, and there will be no Corey on Friday the twenty fifth. So just once a week? No, it will it will sh- it will it will be on on Wednesday like it always is. I'm oh, just okay. I'm just mentioning the changes. Are they so, box setting it? The article I read didn't say anything about box setting. Oh, that's a shame. And I don't freaking care. <laughs> I like the box setting. It makes my life so much easier. Because I just watch on BritBox, who will just give me everything in the normal time anyway. You know what's really hilarious? Last week it was really confusing because you know they have the little descriptions mm-hmm. for what's going on. Yep. It was like talking about people who are not on Coronation Street. I think it was like EastEnders or something. Done that before, yeah. Blah, blah, blah is disappointed in blah, blah, blah for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who the hell are these people? Yeah. And then it's not blah, blah, blah at all. It's the typical stuff. Frederick and Yvonne are furious at Jukata for (laughs) shitting in the garden or something. Pansy and Lord Entwistle are, These are some great ad-libbed names, by the way. Yes. We are good at that. It's almost as if we were writers. And that's 
quite news. After a fashion, that is quite news. <laughs> and that takes us on, as tradition dictates, to World Podcast for Coffee. Just a reminder that our October drive obviously is finished now that we are got a, third, a third of the way through November. So any are we Monday, a third of the way through November? Surely not. It's the 11th, isn't it? It's more than a third. So any money donated now will go to our, our coffee fund. So if you think that this podcast is worth any more than the time required to listen to it, you can buy us a coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Five bucks will get us a couple of cups of gas station joe or big bees 10 bucks will get us a big bees i think 10 bucks will get one big bees the way the prices are going these days it's about it's it's almost two big bees because i spend an awful lot of time in big bees now because of benny's physical therapy being right next to big bees and now (laughs) this A welcome, welcome, welcome. A welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Megabox. Megabox. Was this was was this something Sam wanted or that Sam got to try to distract him from the fact that his mother had been brutally murdered because she was mistaken for Leanne? That's right. This was Dev being very <laughs> impressed with the boot capacity of his new car. Apparently it came with a Megabox. That was also the scene that went on to win 2021's Corey Empty Cup Award. Ooh. I was Gavin and you were back, bitches. And so was Brittany. Oh, was this when Twitter finally let me back on? Only to cancel me just no. a few weeks later? No. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to contact Elon and see if he'll let me back on. If I pay him eight bucks. If you give him eight bucks, I'm sure he'll... I'm sure they'll do then anything I can, then for eight I, bucks. Imagine a billionaire doing anything for eight bucks. And then I can, you know, also pretend to be Eli Lilly and, and give diabetes medication away. <laughs> there you go. No, this was to do with your pneumonia, which had apparently gone and Brittany had been released from her conservatorship thing. Yes. You were quite high or frantic on steroids. I couldn't decide which. And we began to think people were only listening to this podcast for medical updates. I think that's still kind of the case. Right. Yes. Oh, speaking of which, you'll all be relieved to know that Benny no longer needs crutches. My supplies for Chesney hit self and face with Brick Day were starting to arrive. It's a holiday that is very slowly starting to get a foothold on this side of the Atlantic. And we had a hard debate in the middle of the preamble. And this year, we're going to have a hard debate in the middle of last year tonight. Oh, yes. The hard debate was just a reminder that December 15th will be the fifth annual Chesney Hit Self and Face with Brick Day. And it falls on a Thursday this year. Tell me, how will you be celebrating? Will you hit yourself in the face with a brick? Will you hit yourself in the face with a foam brick? Will you have a quiet family celebration? Or will you go on a four-day bender? Or will you, like me, roll your eyes at your goofy Scottish husband wearing a Ronald McDonald wig and hitting himself with a brick outside on your porch I, um, while your child records it? I wore that wig in a Teams meeting at work this week. Sitting here? Yep. That's delightful. Yep. It took people quite a long time to notice. 
So soul sucking, <laughs> as I said. So regular listeners and Twitter followers may recognise this poll as happening the same time last year. Ah. So it was the same options and it was kind of the same question. So this year, hitting self with foam brick got ten point four percent. Last year it got ten point five percent. Ooh. In third place, hit self with brick was 14.9%. Last year, 18.4%. Oh, it's gone down. Probably because of all of the head injuries. The quiet family celebration in second place at 22.4%, down from 26.3% last year. And the winner for the second year on the bounce was the four-day bender, which was up from last year's 44.7% to 52.2%. So. There are so, more alcoholics <laughs> listening to us now than there were last year. That's so votes from great. every other category went to the four-day vendor, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll all enjoy. Round it's about that the 15th again. of December. Are we going back to Connecticut for Chesna itself and Facebook Brick Days this year? When is it again? The 15th of December. Oh, we won't be back in yet. We won't be... We leave like... No, it's because that's, that's... Oh, it's a joke. Yeah. Oh, Sure. Sure, why not? My aunt Pat will be making the the Chesney hits self in brick ham <laughs> shaped like a brick. Yep. I think it's just year. a shame that you know politics have to come into Chesney hit self and face with brick day every year. You know, there's always it is a, a shame. There's always a racist uncle that just ruins it for everybody. Anyway, with ITV Corey in custody Imran is excited to tell Kelly that this may mean she gets to come home in which case she'll really need to start working on her smile. Natasha's Yikes. funeral arrives and Sam is still mute but he puts his emotions into words by writing a eulogy for his mum which might have rhymed, I can't remember James gets wind from Ronnie that Danny has been offered a fancy chef job in that London and does his best to encourage his boyfriend to follow his goals It's Monday Goals! <laughs> It's Monday on Coronation Street, which means that Abby must be involved in something secretive. And with Debbie's added involvement, surely anything is possible. Tyrone's nose is put of joint as Phil with two L's stretches his legs out under the table at number nine. And even Kirk admits that Fizzy's new flame is a top bloke. Simon, Nick and Leanne take turns talking to a door. PC Tinker invents crimes to investigate. And Daniel sings. Our moment of the week was Sam's Olympic standard hug with Leanne, and our boring moment of the week was an awful lot of Isla puns. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this evening is The Book of State. <laughs> On Monday, Fizz and Tyrone, written by Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Ha. On Monday, Fizz and Tyrone, thanks to Adam, have come into possession of proof copies of the state book. And you know that they're proof copies How because... How do you know? How do you know, Helen? Because it says proof right on the cover in big-ass letters. And yet Adam still says to them that these are proof copies. <laughs> right. Well, They still felt like Adam needed to say this out loud. Some people on Twitter thought that that was the name of it. <laughs> I rode to figure out it was a proof copy. It's not called Proof Folks. It's called Legacy of Evil, which sounds like a Misfits album. <laughs> Hope is mentioned by name in the book, which makes Tyrone want to burn the publishers to the ground. Fist tells him to call Canny and she'll get back to Adam once she's had a read. It's a big old book, though. Eh. So, so much for Tyrone's promise. He goes to work and gets petrol in his eye. I think he means oil. He had oil in his eye. He didn't have petrol in his eye. 
No, and that's not where that's not where petrol would have come from, either. It was kind of weird, but this puts him in a bad mood, and he's already in a bad mood. He's obviously not a very good mechanic. It turns out there's a whole chapter about hope that lists all the crimes up to and including smashing Phil with two L's car with a digger. Whoever wrote this book catches up with a lot of Cory. Fizz <laughs> wants a meeting with the publisher to look at them eye to eye. So Adam organises a meeting at the bistro and it turns out the publisher was willing to drop everything. And on reflection, Fizz decides to go with Adam and no Tyrone. And the bistro, no Tyrone. In the bistro, the publisher initially comes across as a bit of a hoor bag, but Fizz makes a good job of appealing to her motherly instincts, explains that her daughter was groomed and begs her to leave Hope's name out of the book, otherwise she risks ruining the little girl's life. And at this point, I'm thinking this is kind of more for Fizz's benefit than it is for Hope's. Because up to this point, I'm not sure Hope really cared one way or the other too much because some Stacy's mother... It, at school as an alcoholic or something or somebody's well, dad was an alcoholic but, Hope but says, Fizz was awfully awfully bothered by Hope it Hope says these things but she doesn't necessarily always say things that she means I mean remember she just found out thanks to Jed that her dad was a serial killer just found out? yeah because she didn't know before then but just found out well, a number of years ago, it could have been that long. Well, it was during this podcast. Yeah, I think it was pre-pandemic, though. Yeah, but you know, I and consider twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two one year. Sure. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the garage, Kev is trying to hide a flyer from Tyrone, but with no success. It turns out that the author of the state book is doing an author Q and A at the Rape Hotel that that very afternoon. Which is weird, considering the book's not out yet, so they can't sell the books to the people at the Q and A and have him sign them. It's a detail also that you think the publisher would have mentioned to Fizz, but whatever. Tyrone is proper angry, and he storms off. Back at the bistro, Adam congratulates Fizz on a job well done, reckoning that the calm approach definitely worked for them. And he wouldn't be surprised if the publisher agrees to all the requests. Which is basically the only real request that they have. Because they're like, we understand we can't stop this book. Right. But can you please just leave hope out of it? Which seems like a reasonable request. Absolutely, because... She's 12 and it was information that was taken right. through deceit and right. without her parents' consent. Right. So. And this is the stuff they could potentially be liable for. And even if they can't... E even if... I, I know publishers, I know publishing houses. If there's like a whiff of a possible lawsuit or a charcoal fart, they will they, they will shut it down. They will take stuff out if they have to. Right, that's why they have a legal team. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you would think that the legal team had would have already said, "Eh, it's kind of shady putting the the name of a minor in this book." Yeah, these don't seem like the most uh, diligent publishers. No. But then at the Rape Hotel, in front of loads of old buddies who seem to be recording the event on their phones, Tyrone <laughs> bursts onto the stage, screams, Get away from her, you bitch! And then slaps the author. Tyrone is quickly subdued by the Rape Hotel no. staff. He says, Get my wife's name out of your goddamn mouth! And then storms the stage and slaps him! Wait. <laughs> And the staff doesn't even punch him, slaps him. Now, given that last week he he punched 
He punched Nick. Nick so hard that his entire face was bruised for a week. <laughs> why would he just slap the author? Seriously. Ser- why is it a slap? I don't know. It, are they... I mean, I know I was joking just then, but are they sort of... I was kind of like that, I have to say. <laughs> making some reference to the Will Smith thing. And I think there's something just a little bit more demeaning to slap, for a man to slap another man. That's kind of, that's almost more of an insult than punching them. Is it demeaning for the one being slapped or the one doing the slapping? For the slappy. Not the slapper. Not the slapper. Because when I see a man slap someone... I don't think, oh, that's a real, that's a real, that's a really attractive man. <laughs> well, sure. You're not looking at him thinking that he's brimming with testosterone. No. But but a man punches I someone. I think the fact that I could knock you off your chair just with a slap kind of suggests, imagine what I could do if I actually punched you. I don't know. I suppose. Anyway. I it's like olden days and with the, with the gloves. You know, that's... Yes, because that was super macho too. Well, but it was an insult. That was an insult. That's why you ended up having duels, wasn't it? Right, yeah. It was so insulting. It wasn't really macho until you shot one another. That's true. Anyway, Anyway. the Rape Hotel uh, staff had phoned the police, and this genuinely seems to shock Tyler. I know, it was hilarious. He's like, the police? What? People slap other people on the street all the time he and thought, no one calls the police. He thought you would get away with it because it was a slap. Right, yeah. And also because that's what happens on this show. People don't have to suffer consequences for punching other or slapping other people. Yeah. Later, Adam goes to see Fizz to let her know that he's heard from the publisher's legal team who have explained what happened at the Rape Hotel and that Tyrone's been arrested. Adam goes to the cop shop. Fizz goes off to see the author. And she makes a similar plea to him, except at this point, she knows that they've blown any chance of getting the book pulled and they've probably blown any chance of getting Hope's name out. But she begs him not to press charges, saying that the book coming out will be bad enough without Hope's daddy also going to prison. And she casts up how he groomed her online, which seems to give him something to think about and her a bit of a bargaining chip. He does seem slightly guilty about this, which is weird. So Adam springs Tyrone from the cop shop, but Fizz is not pleased to see him. He says he didn't know what came over him, but she's sick to the back teeth of this, and she warns him that if she ever sees him being violent again, she and Hope and Ruby won't be seen for dust. This stops now. Or I go back to Phil with two L's. Evil dies tonight. (laughs) Back home, Ty pleads for forgiveness by blaming Fizz for her part in this by going out with Phil with two L's to begin with. So she has to remind him that Miss Romania tits was what triggered all that. <laughs> she says that she's been with some bad men before, or men that have been bad for her. Right. And Tyrone seems to read into what she's not saying, throws a bit of a fit and storms out. So he goes to see Adam in the pub. Adam's fee by this point can be seen from space. He tells Tyrone that he needs to get onto a liable lawyer and go to them with evidence of whatever's not true in the book. So Ty goes home and explains his meeting with Adam, but Fizz thinks it's too late. Tyrone's attack on the author has gone viral, and the publishers are coming in their pants so much about the attention that they've brought the release date forward to next week. They've sped up the presses. Yep. They're manufacturing books at a a rate which, which put Santa Claus to shame. At an illegal rate, I would say, 
so many books are getting produced. So many books. Because it, this little... It's burning down the presses. Because this little TikTok has been created with Tyrone slapping the the author with a 1960s Batman whammo. Wow. Whammo. Yeah. Oh, Batman. He goes home. Did you see the... There was a little meme on Twitter this week of a shot from Jaws where... They're all looking over the side of the boat at the shark, and Adam West, Batman, standing so in the back into the, the spray. The, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, did you did you hear that the uh, the voice of Batman from the animated series uh, died today? And that's, that's shocking because you know why bring why bring it down? <laughs> because I'm quite sad because I loved Batman the animated I've never series. Watched it. Right, that's why you didn't know that Mark Hamill was the Joker, the best Joker. Anyway, after Cesar Romero, of course. So yeah, they brought the the date forward. Well done, Ty. On hope this would never happen. No. Well, this would never happen. They would, they would have the books printed already, they but I don't have think all of the books I don't printed. think they would bring forward a release date to later that same week. Right. First of all, they would have had. They need to get the books to bookshops. And right. Stuff. Yes. Yes. They can't just magic the books to all of the bookshops but, but that like are going to be said, carrying it. I don't think this publisher is plays by they, the same rules. Well, they still don't have magic to materialize well, books. Maybe they do. They also would have set up, hopefully, some you know book release date events where people could actually buy the books, and those couldn't be moved forward. Because where those bookshops and other things would need, have... We don't need an exhaustive list of reasons why this is stupid. It's stupid. Yes. We know it, we accept it, we move on with our lives. Do we? On Wednesday, Hope sees a viral slap video and is very pleased that Tyrone has her back. He and Fizz insist that it was a mistake and it shouldn't have happened, like the time Ty lamped Nick. Right. And we learn the book is coming out on the morrow. Outside, they run into Adam, who has found a barrister who works in libel and has a meeting with him later. Adam advises that Ty shouldn't lamp anyone in the meantime. Yes. Thanks, Adam. And that's billable. Later at lunch, Hope comes home to speak to Tyrone. She's been bullied and she wants permission to punch them back. She also points out that Tyrone promised that the book wouldn't be coming out. Tyrone doubles down on that promise and says that he's still working on it. Later, Adam meets with Fizz and Tyrone and he explains to them that they have a barrister now, but the costs are going to come into an arbitrary large round number, say £100,000. And possibly £200,000. And if they lose, pounds. they'll have to pay the publisher's costs. And I don't know where they're getting the idea that my lawyer's going to cost the same as the publisher's lawyers, but that's what they do. Tyrone right. does some quick maths in his head and then faints. Yeah, the publishers who have... Their own lawyers who work team. in house. They have a They team. have a legal team. At home, Tyrone is doing some sums, talking about selling the house that wouldn't sell a few months ago, and moving back into the salon flat with Craig and Faye. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> the fact Craig that, and Faye that we haven't seen in ages. The fact that Fizz and Tyrone and Hope and Ruby would move into that flat with Craig and Faye. <laughs> Uh, they've got to try and do something though. Hope's Craig and Faye would be it. moving in with Billy at that point. <laughs> Later, Fizz and Tyrone discover that they can't raise a fifth of a million pounds in a few hours, and so they tell Adam that they won't be pursuing with the injunction. Rather, hopefully, Fizz thinks that uh, Hope will understand. But when they tell her, Hope does not understand. She does not. Tyrone promised, and he's let her down. She hates him, she will never forgive him, and she storms off with Chesney and Ruby round to calm the fuck down at Chesney's house. 
So Tyrone was a bit of a pussy when Hope was shouting at him, but he turns the incredible Tyrone again as he threatens to kill the journalist once more. He's tired of being a nice guy. Fizz wants to know where this anger is coming from. Is this about Kirsty? So do we. He doesn't want to talk about it, and before she can wear him down, the cops arrive to arrest Tyrone again for assault. Right, yeah, because apparently because the video went viral, they're like, it doesn't matter that the guy didn't want to press charges, we have to press charges anyway? And it doesn't matter that you've been arrested and let go on this already, we're going to arrest you, I don't know, this seems stupid. Yeah, well, name something in this story that's not stupid. (laughs) At this point, and I think I'd made this clear on Twitter, that I was kind of expecting this to be something to do with steroids. Tyrone was on the roids as he was doing his taekwondo and this is what was making him so angry uh-huh. and I've st- and at this point I'm still expecting that to be the case hmm. so with Tyrone at the cop shop Fizz goes to Ches to pick up the kids Hope refuses to leave saying that she's going to live there forever and Chesney says no we when have Ruby, enough children in this house <laughs> Ruby thinks this means that she'll get her own room well, that was hilarious yes Ches tells Hope that she's always welcome to stay whenever she wants but she needs to fuck off right now you don't have to. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, kid. <laughs> we are all full of kids. <laughs> Hope is still pissed with Ty, but Fizz explains how he's gen- generally been a decent sort of bloke, and she drags Hope back home. So later, Ty comes home released with a caution. He reckons everyone be, would be better off without him, and Fizz demands again to know what's going on. And it seems to have come from Aaron's alky dad turning up violently at the garage. And how Tyrone didn't do anything to stop him, and Fizz could have been hurt that day. Are you sure, Corey? Are you sure he's not suffering from roid rage? Because this is kind of shit. That's the reason? That's the reason why he's so suddenly uber violent and hitting people? It's because he doesn't doesn't want to take it anymore. (sighs) I'm so disappointed in that. Well, you know what? Maybe he is on steroids as well. I want him addicted to drugs. It would make more sense, and it might actually be a more interesting story. For mood swings like that, and for somebody at yeah. Tyrone's age to suddenly become addicted violent. like that. Yeah, and violent seems, yeah, seems maybe an interesting right. yeah, side that's story a, to this. Because every time it happens, he seems kind of shocked at himself afterwards. Yeah. Like, it's not something he can control. Yeah, he just lost, he just says he just keeps on losing control. The red mist came down. Right. And that's all because of Eric the Alki. Right, yeah, no. Oh, I'm a bit disappointed, like I said. Well, it's it's a good thing that Corey will continue to disappoint <laughs> you this week in most things. Yes. Fizz reminds him that she gave everything up for him and she'd do it again. And Hope will forgive her. But then we see Hope sitting on the stairs, him. staring at the back cover on an ad on her phone. On Friday, Tyrone wakes up to a <sighs> notification about the state book being out in all major retailers. And Fizz has to explain what major retailers means. And it's unlikely to be a bestseller, but they both worry that one of Hope's classmates could pick it up, especially Sam. Tyrone is at work complaining about the book, and Aaron promises not to read it. And when Tyrone moans that there's nothing you can do to stop others from reading it, Aaron mentions, well, there's one rather obvious thing that you could do. Yes. Namely, the thing you did with the papers a couple of weeks ago. Right. At the factory, Beth would buy the book, but twelve ninety nine is a bit too spicy for her. She asks Fizz for... twelve ninety nine for our new hardcover book? Yep. Obviously, the writers of Corey haven't bought a book brand well, new in well, a very Beth long time. Hasn't bought a book in well, a long time. They're, they're making out the Beth as a skinflint, right? Yeah, but still, so that's mission successful there. 
She asks Fizz for mates rates. That again was was pretty funny. That that was kind of funny. It's like, do you not understand how books work, Beth? No, do you not understand how mates work, Beth? <laughs> Fizz is appalled until Carla shows up and threatens to fire anyone who buys the book or even talks about it. So that Fizz, was nice of her. Yeah. <coughs> Fizz gets home and squeals when she sees John Stapes standing in the middle of her living room. <laughs> and from behind out pops Tyrone. It's a life-size cutout of John Stape, that is, yes. that Tyrone got for cheap after buying all the copies of the book from the bookshop. This will go nicely with his collection of wedding gazettes from the other week. Right, yes, and also his his cutout of John Wayne Gacy. And <laughs> he's got a, and uh, um, Dennis Niels. And, Nielsen. Yes. And um, Tim Curry from Stephen King's It. Tim Curry is not a serial killer. Stop trying to spread that rumour. And Art the Clown from Terrifier and Terrifier 2. That's me being hip with the kids there. And also Jeffrey Dahmer. Yep. Someone who I will be mentioning again very soon. He's got a bunch of posters too. Uh, Fizz tells him to get rid of the lot. Burn it. So they manage to hide it all from Hope, but she's still pissed off with Tyrone and she stomps off outside in a mood. Yeah, they don't burn it. And No, she... <laughs> Hope stumps over to the shed, kicks it in a rage, and then the door just swings open to reveal a life-size cutout of her murderous dad, plus a dozen copies of the book, plus some posters, plus Dennis Nielsen. <laughs> Tyrone goes to see Nick and doesn't hit him this time. He explains the helplessness he's been feeling about this book thing and he's sorry. Nick understands, thanks to another storyline. Yes. And he suggests taking Hope with him for dinner to the bistro. Which is nice. At the bistro, Hope thinks the food wasn't as good as the kebab shop. She tells Sam well, just the fries. that she's nicked a copy of the book from the shed to show off to the girls at school to make them like her. Sam doesn't think this is a great idea. In fact, he thinks it's weird and a bit creepy. And Hope says that Sam is just jelly. With Hope and Sam allowed to be friends again, Ty and Fizz are congratulating themselves for some top-notch A1 parenting. But upstairs, by the light of her phone, Hope is reading the book about because her dad. Because she's not allowed to use lights? Well, because Ruby's in the same room. Oh, is Ruby sleeping? I would hope so. <laughs> Ruby's out in the town. I didn't realise it <laughs> was... Trying to get a liver that... back off of Peter. <laughs> I didn't realise it was that late at night. Is it? Is it not weird that we have spent a couple of weeks now building up this idea that the children at school are, are mocking Hope for having a serial killer dad yeah. and for being kind of creepy herself? And then... The second she becomes, the second she's allowed to hang out with Sam again, all of a sudden those girls are actually really into her and interested in her dad's story. And so she's going to read the book and bring the book to make them her friends. These girls who have been bullying her for weeks. Are you saying that Hope's plan is flawed? I'm saying that the writing of the show is flawed. Well, I think, I think that is something that uh, we girl would think. Well, no, because she knows that she's being mocked for this. If I, this is the one, this is the thing that's making people think that she's scary. Why would she lean into that? She's a smart girl. Lean into not being scary for a couple of weeks. See what that gets you. You've got your one friend back. Rely on your one friend. You don't need those girls to like you. They're bullies. Do you know what it's not? It's not uh, unheard of for kids to try and scare people into being friends with them. There's a guy in Maskell that was kind of like that. Just He was kind of horrid, and he hoped that being horrid would make people friends with him. 
Yeah, but that's someone who didn't. It didn't work. Not as smart as Hope. Mm. Hope's a smart kid. I think maybe she's trying to play on the whole rebel thing. You know that she's again. You know, because Sam's like, oh, I saw you talking to those girls. And she's like, yeah, those girls like me. We're asking questions and they like me now. Those girls were making fun of you last week for this. And saying they don't want to be anywhere around you. This doesn't, this is not believable, but that these girls would just turn around and now be, oh, yes, we're very intrigued by your serial killer dad. Be our friend. There's a romance to that kind of thing, though, don't you think? Maybe, but then... It would be, there would be a romance to that kind of thing last week when they were bullying well, her. Maybe, well, we just saw them whispering about her. We didn't see anybody saying to her, oh, I don't want to hang out with you, Hope. And not just last week, just, was it Wednesday? Hope is sad and comes home for lunch because she's being bullied at school. I don't know. I'm not having, I'm not having as much of a problem as this that you're clearly having with it. And it's, it feels like something that a desperate, child would do in the hope of being accepted in some way as as misguided as it is i know mm-hmm. i can i can kind of see it i can it, it kind of works for me but the john stape in the living room was that was hilarious so funny tyrone popping out from round the back of it again yeah. was was pretty hilarious yeah and that and and fizz's fizz's appeal to the publisher were the highlights and, and her appeal to the author? Um, I thought were very good. More to the publisher. More to the publisher. The, the author, yeah. But but still, that's that's the only thing. I just don't understand why the publisher and the author are such horrible, horrible people, and I don't understand why they would write this entire book without wanting to speak to Fizz about it. Right. Yeah, you'd think that you would. Well, the the author seems to imply that he thinks that Fizz was aware of everything going on, and his argument for that is deeply, deeply flawed. Right. It's like, well, she tried to protect her child when her child did all these horrible things, so of course she protected the you know evil man who murdered people as well. Yeah. No, that's that's not how that's not how human beings work, pal. Fizz is the only adult that's been really close to the storyline who's still available to tell the story about right. it. Right. And he hasn't tried to contact her about it. And here I go. This is this is me bringing Jeffrey Dahmer back into the conversation. Oh, I was hoping you were going to forget about that. I can see kind of why Corey would manufacture this kind of a story now because of all the discourse that has happened with the Netflix show about Jeffrey Dahmer and how the the victims' families have been quite upset about all of this because people are because people are making money off of their family's grief and horror and they are depicted in the show some of it like speech for speech and move for move in some of the court scenes and yet we're not most of them were not approached we're not involved. Mm. The, the the people behind the Jeffrey Dahmer series have said that they did reach out and that no one got back to them. And people on Twitter are rightfully saying, well, if they didn't get back to you, that should have been your hint that maybe they don't want to dredge all this stuff up. Right. And I think this I think Corey could be doing something very interesting about this sort of thing. And we've kind of talked about this before. I think we talked about this kind of 
on list of lists as well is that you know there's there's a certain point where true crime becomes something else where you are actually getting you're not getting informed you're getting entertained yeah john benny ramsey being another case in point and casey anthony this week as well yeah right yeah you know and we mentioned john wayne gacy a little bit a little while ago and one of his unidentified victims was just identified very recently you know and that just dread you know it gives people closure but it also dredges lots of things up right so it could be this could be an interesting story it feels like it's far too far too soon after we've had kind of the whole john stape thing getting dredged up and with with phil with two l's and then with jade and i know that Mm. it may have been like a few years ago that we had the jade stuff but it's just there were other serial killers on the street. Yeah, there should be a book about feeling. Where's the feeling book? Right. Yeah. And that was more recent. Hmm. You would think that people would be more, that, that that would be the thing. Of course, there are no children to groom in the feeling story. But still, it just, and like I said last week, maybe, or a couple of weeks ago, it's just, we're getting to a point now where it, it's starting to feel a little icky to because, you know, the show is condemning this author for implying that that hope will become a serial killer as well. But the show itself has been implying for years that hope is a bad seed. You, you change her name to Macaulay Culkin. She's the bad seed here. You know, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think those cancel each other out i think i think the show's allowed to do that and the author is allowed to do that because all both of them are doing is proving how much fizz is blinkered when it comes to hope and she can't see any of these these things being no matter what she's done in the past she will still be hope's mother and that's a an absolutely valid position to take but it does it does mean that she has to turn kind of a blind eye to an awful lot of heavy shit right but implying that you know, being a serial killer is passed genetically. It's kind of icky in, in, and, and, um, you know, Fizz is right. This kid has been through an awful lot and it's not helping her to get it dredged up over and over and over and over again. Granted, Fizz and Tyrone have not done a great job in helping her either. No. So this, this feels like a kind of almost like a natural bit of the path is to have this have the 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 failings of their parenting Mm -hmm. in an attempt to make sure that the past doesn't repeat itself Mm -hmm. has been pushing the past to repeat itself right mostly for comedic purposes in the show but there is that kind of glimmer that hope may be but also alina's baby died yeah and there was sort of the the implication that it was the fire that that caused her to miscarry, which is another kind of icky thing in itself, which we will not get into because we got into it when it happened. I would like Hope to have some storylines that don't involve her, you know, her whole personality being my dad was a serial killer. Oh, she's 12. What else has she got? Well... Sam has had an awful lot of stuff, and he is also 12. Talking of Sam, let's move on to that storyline, shall we? 
Yes, let's. And a lovely segue into the Sam Shank Redemption. And I know, I don't know what that means either. On Monday, Sam is still giving Nick short shrift. He tells Nick that he can make his own way to school, thanks very much. What? Screams Nick, so you can write another love letter to your fucking pen pal? Sam must have been watching Classic Cory because he casts up Nick getting in touch with Darren Wheatley, who murdered his dad and used Leanne as bait. Nick claims that was different. And it was different, because it was much worse. <laughs> Later, Leanne goes to see Nick in the bistro and asks him if he's absolutely sure that letting Sam speak with Harvey won't give Sam the closure he needs. Yes, says Nick, I'm very sure. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, at Nina's Rolls, Roy is trying to teach Sam the Ponziani opening in chess, which should destroy Sam in ten moves. Also something about chess. But Sam doesn't want to play chess. He wants Roy to be the responsible adult he needs so he can visit Harvey in the Nick. So after this, Roy goes to see Nick, explains about the responsible adult thing and how of course he refused. But then he explains the Ponziani opening and how it means sacrificing something at the start in the hope of gaining something more favourable in the end. And doesn't that sound like something familiar? He also paints... He also points out in an unrelated matter that Sam makes some strong points for seeing Harvey. So Leanne and Sam's opinion doesn't mean much, but based on Roy's thoughts, Nick begins to open up to the idea, who am I to stop him if he really wants this, he says to Leanne, and he worries that Harvey will make a fool of Sam just for fun. Then that'll put an end to it, says Leanne. Yes. So Nick makes a decision. He tells Sam that he's agreed to speak to the restorative justice charity thing to seek advice on this, and Sam has made up. Back home, Nick has spoken to them and they've explained that they haven't worked with someone as young as Sam before but they've agreed to meet Sam tomorrow and Mm -hmm. Sam is so pleased he runs at Nick and headbutts him in the newts. I think it's very hilarious that the concept of restorative justice is something that has to be explained to Nick. (laughs) Yeah. That it hasn't even occurred to him. Yeah. I think his grand needed some restorative justice, don't you? <laughs> when Nick stole from her. Hmm. On Wednesday, Sam and Nick are in Nina's roles going through the questions that he has for the facilitator woman. Nick is worried about bringing Harvey back into their lives. He's never left mine, says Sam, and he thinks this is a great way to get rid of him Excellent once and for point, all. Sam. And it was a fantastic point. Excellent point. And at that, anything Nick can say is completely shut down. Right. Yeah, and it seems to be the point that... I'm so glad that Sam brought it up because it seemed to be the point that Leanne and Nick were missing. Right. You know, because they're like, oh, we don't even want to think about this guy anymore. And that's all that Sam can think of. it's It's all been done. You know, it's been a year. We don't even think about this guy anymore. Why is he writing to us now? How dare he? And poor little Sam is like, he's always here with me. That's twice this week that Sam completely shut Nick down once with the Dan Wheatley thing mm-hmm. and then with the he's never left mine thing right and both of those things in isolation should have been enough yeah doesn't need yeah. any more than that nope at the flat it becomes clear that Nick and Leanne are allowing this to happen but they really want a different outcome than Sam does the facilitator woman though thinks Sam is emotionally stable and intelligent and she doesn't think it would re-traumatise him. She thinks it could be good for Sam and is happy to take it forward and that means that she's going to go off and she's going to see if Harvey will agree to a meeting and she'll be in touch. Is Harvey going to say yes? Because the way he was talking to Leanne, it didn't seem like he is the kind of person who would say yes See, to I think that Harvey at this point is like, I will do anything to make these letters stop. Mm, quite possible. 
Privately, Nick and Leanne lick their wounds. This hasn't gone the way they wanted. It's blown up in their faces somewhat, and Nick even contemplates going to see Harvey himself to tell him to say no at the meeting. But now, all they can do is pray that Harvey refuses. And obviously he's not going to refuse because no, you're not going to get then, this far into the storyline. Yeah, just says, oh, because no, why would nah, they... Why would, that. Yeah. And <sighs> I thought this was lovely, the mm. way that this was done this week. I thought giving Sam this agency over his own... Grief process. His grief and his own mental stability. Right. And, and being able to articulate it in a really mature way. I, just, I thought it was wonderful. And, and I, I get the Nick point of view and i like how they've how they've positioned leanne in this because mm-hmm. leanne is kind of switzerland a little bit she's kind of seen what sam means but she also understands nick's point of view but right she's, she's trying to be kind of devil's advocate right to both and of them also almost. she recognizes that nick is has been horrible to sam oh she calls him out says. for it yeah the way that it was taught to because it was a thing where at the start sam was talking about how he wanted to get a pair of new glasses because it would mm-hmm. make him look like clark kent and nick had snapped him and said well maybe when you stop wanting to dress up like superheroes we can talk about you meeting harvey and it's yeah. like fucking hell it's just a pair of glasses it's not like he wants to walk around in a superman costume <laughs> right because trust me nick there are kids who at 12 years old want to walk around in a Superman costume. I would say there are women in their 40s who wouldn't be completely against the idea either. Of, of making you walk around in a <laughs> Superman costume? You are correct. <laughs> I, I did make you dress up like Ant-Man and it was glorious. And also Susan Boyle, which I still don't appreciate. And Hagrid. But, those are, but Susan Boyle and Hagrid are not superheroes. Ant-Man is a superhero. Oh, you go to Bathgate and you try and tell that story. <laughs> no, I, I thought it was great. I thought uh, Leanne's position in it was was beautifully done. I get Nick's anger and his unreasonableness, but uh, he's going to get beaten in the argument by Sam because Sam just has the better argument. And Roy was making a great case for it as well. I really, Absolutely. I, really I, liked I, liked, I liked Roy's involvement. Mm-hmm. I love that we're back to chess. Yeah. That makes me happy. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it seems like the show has remembered what Roy is good at. Because this is not the only, this is not the only storyline this week where we have a little Roy injected to calm the situation down and allow people, and, and give people a release of their anxiety. Yeah. And we all appreciate people talking in metaphor, right? Yes. Yeah, I thought it was a great counterpoint to the Hope storyline. Mm-hmm. Moving on then, the next storyline this evening is British Summertime. This better stop because I'm running out of summer titles. On Monday, summer is packing, but not like that. Much to Billy's distress. He no. doesn't think she was moving so soon, but they're getting the keys to the flat today. And much like the book with the giant proof written over it we see summer sitting on the bed with a package that has in giant letters folic acid and the picture of a pregnant lady (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious because folic acid is just one of the things that are involved in prenatal vitamins and also those vitamins were far too small folic acid is actually the name of the book that that guy wrote about john state (laughs) So he didn't think it was going to be, she didn't was going to be moving out so soon. They're getting the keys to the flat today. He pretends to be fine, though, 
and offers to help her, but mm. she's worried that uh, he'll find the folic acid. The tablets, so she tells him to fuck off. And Billy is already making this about him, and so he slinks out the room. And number one, Tracy doesn't know why Amy and Jacob want to leave poster? now. What is that poster on on Summer's wall in her bedroom? I've no idea. It's weird. It's it's like it looks like a graphic from the sixties about lasers or something. Oh, maybe it's maybe it's involved in robotics because remember when Little Summer liked robots. I've. I thought there was a band poster, I'm, I'm not sure. And number one, Tracy doesn't know why Amy and Jacob want to leave now that the toilet is fixed. They want to smoke, crack and have threesomes, says Jacob. Amy needs Tracy to be cool about this. That was a good line from Jacob. I love Jacob. Jacob is like, is fast becoming one of my favourite characters on the show. I don't think anyone in 60 odd years of Coronation Street has ever said the line, smoke, crack and have threesomes. Although maybe, maybe, Ken, maybe, Ken, maybe Ken said it in the 60s right enough. Maybe um, they should. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Tog comes round in the shock to find that Summer has moved out. She tells him that she'll be back for the rest of her things after her pump fitting. And she leaves, which makes Billy pull that face. Yes. Like, so that's that then. Yeah. It's like, what you for fuck's sake, she's still on the same fucking street. Calm down. Both Billy and Tracy this week. It's like... What the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> I have a friend who goes on when her when her daughter goes on dates with her boyfriend. She she goes with them and she posts pictures of them on their dates on Facebook. She needs to be arrested. She is Tracy. <laughs> Back in number one, Tracy's refusing or to Billy, let Amy leave like. until she's gone through all the things of hers that Amy's stealing. She starts to cry, so Amy gives her a hug and tells her she's just round the corner and she loves her. Right. They leave and Tracy moans to Ken how she wishes Amy would leave or how she used to think that she wanted Amy to leave so she'd get her life back and now she feels stupid. Yes, it's Ken. That's normal. Right, yes. And Tracy makes a lovely metaphor equating her daughter with a jar of body glitter that she never uses anymore. <laughs> Other rovers, Glenda offers to fill Billy's gaping void. Like Ex- that. Exactly like that. And doesn't seem perturbed when she finds out that he's gay. Billy can't be cheered though. Between the abortion, the diabetes and the eating disorder, he's been unbearable to someone. No wonder she's <clears> had enough. Tracy goes to the rovers with a face like a yard of gravy, which I thought was a beautiful phrase. Mm. Tim and Kev try to cheer her up, but Tracy cannot be cheered up. Glenda reveals that she and her first husband talked about having kids, but she just couldn't. She took one look at him and she just couldn't. That was, that was great. So that's a little bit of Les Dawson there. A wee Les yes. Dawson joke for the dads. Yes. So the young crew have moved mums. have moved into Toya's and Imran's old place, the one with the steward window. They've been in for five minutes when Todd appears with some stuff that he's stolen from Eileen and then spoils moving day for Summer by telling her that Billy thinks she's moved out because she hates him. So Summer has Shut to, the fuck up, Todd, and go buy those kids a toaster. So Summer has to abandon moving in day and her friends to go back to see Billy to tell him thanks for everything, Billy, and how she loves him, and she's brought a takeout for them to share. And Billy smiles because people are paying him attention finally, and all he had to do was ruin moving day for Summer. On Wednesday, at the young team flat, Jacob's cooking breakfast. Amy's studying when Tracy comes round with some soft toys that Amy left at number one. I thought it was interesting that Summer was no longer being sick at the smell of bacon. Jacob suggests that Summer takes a day off work, though, if she's not feeling well, but she insists that she's fine. And the two of them catch up late at the factory, where both of them work, remember? Mm-hmm. Summer admits that she's feeling like shit, so, Jack, so Jacob tells her to go home. 
and she should be honest with Aaron about how she's feeling. She says that she can't be honest because she's promised to pay for Alki Eric's rehab and she's promised to give her baby to the creepy Christian couple in exchange for money, so she has to just get on with it. Back at the flat, Summer shows off her pump, but not like that. Yeah, and it's the fakest looking... I thought it was good that they showed it. I think Very briefly. Yeah, I had no idea what that sort of thing looked like. If that's a general gist of what it looks like, that's then... not what it looks like. Anyway, Tracy's anyway. back looking to have a girly night in uh, with the young team. Amy tells Jacob that they uh, that the bright side to all this will be that Tracy will take the washing home with her. And later, Summer decides to be honest with Aaron after all and tells him that she's not been feeling well. With a little nudge from Jacob. Yeah, a big nudge from Jacob. Mm. And that she also knows that Aaron isn't happy with the baby exchange thing. He admits that he's <clears> not, but promises to stand by her. On Friday, in Nina's roles, Summer gets a text from the creepy Christian couple who want to meet at the flat. Summer is worried that they might run into Billy, so suggests to Aaron that they meet the couple at the new bubble tea place in town. That's nice, isn't it, Helen? The I, bubble tea place? I do love bubble tea. Can't drink it anymore because I'm diabetic, but I do love bubble tea. The flat, though, has been home to a study group, and it's a fucking gope when Esther and Mike show up. And they very much looked down their noses at the place. And it seems Summer Text didn't send. Oh, I hate oh, it when I that happens. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Every time I'm trying to send a text to a creepy Christian couple, it never sends. It never sends. Mike and Esther end up tidying the flat for them. They weren't judging, says Esther, judgingly. But then there's a buzzer call and it's Billy wanting to come up. So Arne has to tell him to fuck off because they're friends over. Right. And this tips Esther off that Billy is in the dark about their arrangement. And I thought it was kind of funny how Billy's been reacting to rejection right. uh, this week and last to have Aaron tell him to beat it. Right. I would have loved just to have seen a little clip of Billy just standing on the street, possibly raining, Meh. with a dog pissing against his leg. Off he goes to, I don't cue, know, cue give the, soup to somebody. Cue the sad Ben Affleck memes. Or the uh, or, Incredible Hulk steam tune. Or the sad Michael Jordan memes. Mike and Esther end up tidying the... I've just said that. I've just literally just finished saying that. Yes, you have. Summer comes clean to Esther and Mike and Aaron points out that Billy wanted to report them to the police, which makes them change their tune about telling Billy the truth. Mm. This brings the subject on to how they're going to deal with this in the future. And Mike has an idea. And his idea is to avoid social getting involved when the baby is born by getting his name down on the baby's birth certificate as the baby's father. Right. Apparently, this is what their lawyer has suggested because they don't have a lawyer. Because there's no legal way to do this. So I don't think a lawyer is going to suggest an illegal way to do it. Well, some lawyers might. Rudy Giuliani, for one. (laughs) Aaron clearly isn't happy about this, but remembers that he's going to back Summer, so agrees that it's the only way. So Summer agrees, and Esther and Mike share a sly smile with each other. Yeah, it was weird. And when they leave, it allows Aaron and Summer to chat about how weird everything is. He tells her that she can still change her mind. I'm not stupid, says Summer, which is far from confirmed, and she knows it's going to be tough, but as long as they stick together, they'll be fine. Right, it's like... What's your dad going to do if I don't sell my baby? And it's like, let his dad figure this out. She's been so trained to be so codependent with her fathers that she feels like she has to be codependent with everyone else's fathers. She's already paid 10 grand for me going to rehab. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was the deal. Supposedly, yeah. That's already been done. They ain't getting that money back, but you can still say no. I think that we've talked about. The summer storyline over the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. well enough. 
So I don't think that aspect of this is anything that I want to spend any time on. But I have However, to say... I will say, I like the four of them in the flat. Agreed. Just... I'm sorry, Billy. <laughs> but just like Todd becomes someone who I can tolerate and even enjoy mm-hmm. when he's with his mum and much the Undertaker. So. A great character in that Fantastic character. Summer and Aaron are so much more delightful when they're away from Billy and have this storyline where they're living with their friends and hanging out. And Summer and Jacob are mates. And Jacob is a delightful kind of big brother to her. Yep. And is just so understanding and stuff. Who knew? Who knew when we were first introduced to Jacob when he was mocking dead Oliver? Who knew? I knew. That he would become delightful. I knew. Well, I didn't know he'd become delightful, but I knew he was a really good character. Right. Yeah. It's been so nice. See, Corey, take note. It's nice, and we enjoy watching a character grow Mm -hmm. and develop. And it's something nice. Into something nice and interesting that isn't two-dimensional. Like the two-dimensional teenage thug drug drug killer, drug dealer, who becomes the awesome boyfriend and decent mate. Elm of any who plays Amy posted on Insta a little mock intro to I think she called it Pals mm-hmm. like the the friends tuned mm-hmm. the little clips of the the four of them having larks in the the flat mm-hmm. that they must have done in between filming so like mocking your or mocking your Ryan's nest then well saving me a job because right. I was going to do that <laughs> so I didn't have to do that anymore but the um the way that they did it was was very funny. But what really came across in it is how tiny Summer is in comparison to the other ones. Right, she's like, yeah. She's so small. Well, you can tell when she's sitting on that couch with with Jacob. You can see the soles of her shoes. He, he looks like a he looks like John Fetterman next to her. <laughs> that's the that's the only that's the most famous tall man you could mention. Well, it's the most recent. The most recent tall man. Well, Who's been in the news and is a fresh reference. Thank you very much. And a delightful human being who agrees with us about how delightful the gas station sheets is. That's good. It is good. The sushi does make me sick, though. Anyway, moving on. Our next storyline this evening is, Howie, do you like that? Isn't it really your fault for eating gas station sushi? Yeah. On Wednesday, well, they shouldn't sell it then. (laughs) On Wednesday at Dev's, Gemma and Paul hand over a court summons to Bernie. It's a plea hearing that she's got coming up. Gemma still doesn't believe that her mum is innocent, despite Bernie's insistence, and Paul doesn't think she's capable of a jewellery heist. Mm-hmm. Bernie remembers that Fern used to go to spas, and there's one outside the town that might be worth a visit for a lead. Now, in fairness to him, Dev puts the idea in her head by wanting to send her to a spa all day long to relax and forget about all of this and that he will do the sleuthing for her. Yeah. I, Being a very good boyfriend. I cut that out in the interest of saving time. Well, you knew I would bring it up. I didn't. So she goes off there pretending to be Fern and she speaks with the receptionist claiming that she's had a blow to the head and can't remember her address. The receptionist politely tells her to fuck off. 
But later, the receptionist has to nip off for a shite, and she leaves her computer unattended. And so, on, and not password protected. So Bernie jumps in it and starts to go through the member role. Then a baldy, beardy, bespectacled Scottish man in a dressing gown comes over and asks her what she's up to. She says that she's fair and everything is fine, not to worry, but the man says that he thought he would recognise his ex-wife. Dum, dum, dum. He's Howard. Can I call you Howie? She asks. No, he says. But she calls him Howie anyway. Yes, she does. And it's... Cut delightful bernie tries to cover with the old yeast infection excuse but it doesn't work so she has to come clean and admit that fern impersonated her to rob a jeweler and now she's facing a prison sentence the man admits that fern is a con artist who ripped him off of all he's worth so he sympathizes and stole money from his mum but when she asks him to meet up at the rovers later to talk about going to the police about it he says that he wants nothing to do with this and he leaves so bernie goes but to the rovers. it's very important that she mentioned <laughs> Going to the, rovers, the name yeah. of the rovers. So when Bernie goes to the rovers and explains to Gemma, Paul and Dev about bumping into Howie, Gemma now believes her. It doesn't matter because Bernie's still going to jail and at this rate she'll also be done for kidnapping Shergar. Which means that Bernie's the IRA? I think so. Yeah, and, and, and Gemma's reasoning is that her mom's not smart enough to make all of this up. Then Howie comes in. I didn't recognise you with your clothes on, says Bernie, which makes Dev do a very amusing double take he's taking a sip from his drink and he just stops mid <laughs> cocks his head oh my god Jimmy so funny so good he doesn't, he doesn't have to say anything no. just just perfectly done no he really doesn't say anything at all in this scene and yet you can't take your eyes off of him no. so Ben and Howie chat he's had a change of heart because of Bernie's honest face and he suggests going to the police together tomorrow and hopefully they'll believe them. On Friday, Howie is at Dev's to meet Bernie. He doesn't have a photo of Fern saying that he got rid of them when they split and he seems very interested in Dev and Dev's house. Then he asks Bernie for a biscuit as he's skipped breakfast and he's just dodgy as fuck sitting there. Bernie and Howie are in the Rovers later chatting about their strategy. Howie goes off for a Jeffrey, he says. I think he's a shite. Before heading to the cop you shop. You should know he's also Scottish. I've never called anything a Jeffrey, other than people called Jeffrey. <laughs> Shona reckons that Howie has the hots for Bernie, and Bernie's flabbergasted by this. With Jeffrey successfully completed whatever it is, Howie comes back and suggests another round before they leave. Later, Howie and Bernie are still in the pub. Howie is very much turning on the charm and Bernie finally calls an end to it, accusing Howie of trying to get into her knacks. Howie makes his excuses and leaves when Bernie threatens to set Dev on him. And later, yeah. Bernie is still at the pub when Howie comes back to make peace and he tells her that he went to the police station to tell them that Bernie was innocent but he had no luck convincing them. Really? He has had an idea to smoke Fern out though by pretending that he's had a lottery win. Howie is utterly untrustworthy here but Bernie is in yeah because if somebody came to the cop shop and said hi you know my my wife you, you would think that he would bring like documentation like a marriage certificate or something or whatever they have over there i don't know what do you guys have over there marriage certificates oh, okay you don't have social security numbers so i don't know anything you have national insurance numbers though <laughs> and you don't have national insurance numbers that's true that's true. But, you know, he would have brought documentation. They would have had to have believed him. Right? What is the first rule of soap, <laughs> Helen? Social workers are evil. No. Cops that's, are dumb. That's the eighth and the twentieth. Uh, what was the third one? 
social workers, cops. Was it teachers? Or was it parents? I can't remember what the third thing was. But Rule it, number one is, if you didn't see it happen, it didn't, it happen. didn't happen. Well, there is that too. Soap operas and superhero movies have that in common. If you don't see somebody dead, they're, they're not, not dead. dead. Right. If you don't see him go to the cop shop, he didn't go to the cop shop. He is 100% absolutely still in cahoots with Fern. You think so? Absolutely. And they're just looking to rip off either Bernie some more, or they've got their sights set on ripping off Dave. I don't know. Because he's he, so obviously slimy and because untrustworthy. He, because he did seem genuine in the beginning, you know, about her ripping off and and you know i don't want anything more to do with this woman because of all of this stuff that's but then just, when he comes back that's I don't just know. laying the foundations you don't say immediately oh yeah i'm in you make them work for it a little bit or you yeah just but she a wasn't going to work at, for it she was like fine whatever and she went to the rovers this gives him time to go home talk to fern about it concoct this plan then go back but it also it also gives Bernie proof to her friends and family that Fern actually exists. So they've lost. So Fern has lost one of the one of the one of the best feathers in her cap by proving that she exists. Who's talked to Harry? Dev was there. Gemma was there. Who who talked to Harry? Yeah, but when he came in, she said, "This is Fern's." Who who talked to Harry though? He's not said anything to anybody about who he is. All they've got to go on is what Bernie says that he says. But he and didn't that, disagree, and that is hearsay. He, he didn't. He didn't agree. He, he didn't disagree either. Which he, he means did nothing. It's hearsay. But it's not because he didn't it is. disagree. It's literally she said that he said. It's literally that. But if he doesn't say no, that's not true in front of these people. Then that's not hearsay anymore because he's not denying it. He's not said anything. He's literally said he's nothing. He's lost to them. his plausible di- deniability. Not at all. Doesn't matter. What does matter is Bernie says that Dev is an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> yes, he had the glasses on. And a Vegas Elvis. She's wrong. Vegas Elvis. He's a Jeff Goldblum impersonator, and we all <laughs> know it. I'm still really enjoying this storyline though because it's given us lots of Bernie. And, and lots of dev yep and lots of laughs yeah. it is it is it is goofy it it's the kind of goofy crime story you want from a soap opera i really don't want this to take a serious turn and bernie goes to prison i really i, I really can't have that I, happen i can't i can't imagine that they would that they would put her in prison especially not for a long time no but so far the the spa scene was great the introduction of howie I think is is pretty great as well. He's a he's my doppelganger. It's funny that he's my doppelganger in a story that's about a doppelganger. He's not though. He's because not my doppelganger though. You are quite handsome, and he is not. Oh, that's unfair to him. I thought he was. Uh, you have a very manly chin, <laughs> and you're pink. We've established both. You're you're not you're not one of those pale pasty Scotsmen. You're one of those ruddy rugged pink Scotsman. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure what that subset absolutely looks like, but anyway, it's it's good stuff. 
it's funny. I hope it stays that way. I hope there's a, I hope there's a good conclusion to it. Me too. And I'm I'm okay with being led down the garden path by it a little bit. Um, it's and this week this was something that I was hoping for more of. Yes. Our penultimate storyline this week then is homeless stew two, homeless stew in the city, electric booger stew. <laughs> on Friday, Homeless Shoe is suited and booted for his hearing in that London. Dee Dee is there, I presume in a legal capacity, to make sure he gets there on time. Although, let's remember, she's forgetful and clumsy and stuff. So, yeah, she's and running also, late. And also because she's his lawyer. At Speeddal, Roy comes in to ask Yasmin if she's heard anything about Stu, and it seems that the hearing has just started. Roy has some soup on the go that she likes, so the two of them go back to Nia's rolls for, Vegetable some, soup. for some hot soup action. The soup date has went well and they talk about Stu's likelihood for success today and the chance for happiness and to rebuild his life. Yasmin admits to caring about Stu very much, which seems to sadden her Royston. Well, the shoe comes home from a long day in that London. His conviction has indeed been overturned. Well, you could have texted, yeah. Anyway, he explains to Yasmin that now that's all done, his main focus has to be Eliza and to take care of her, he's going to need a place where she can have a room of her own. So he'll have to find someplace else to live. And Yasmin tries to hide the fact that she's rather crushed. Just like Rana. Absolutely. You'd think that they could just, I don't know, kick Alia out. Alia could li- live in the young person's flat again. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine being, what age is Alia? 20s or 30s? 30s maybe? Yeah. Loving Not that young person's flat. Craig and Faye. Loving, loving with put four with, teenagers. Oh my God. Put it's her like with, Tyrone. <laughs> Tyrone. Put, her with, put her with Craig and Faye. That would work. Or put her with Billy. They could have lots of conversations about religion well into the night. Here's what... Let, let's, let's, be, let's be honest here. I uh-huh. don't think Homeless Jew's going anywhere. No. And no, he and Yasmin are going to shack up now. Well, again. I think we do have the makings of a little, a little menage a trois going on here, a little love triangle, because I think Roy does have something off the hots for Yasmin. Roy has Evelyn. That's where he belongs, with Evelyn in the woody. Now, my dear. Getting a woody. Sometimes you don't get the pairings that you want on Coronation Street, and I think this might be one of those times. I don't care. I do not accept. This is not the reality that I accept. You don't. You didn't recognize like the way that they were looking at each other. No, that didn't happen. No, because it did. It's just Roy being Roy. Roy is very calming. Why would he, Why would he be a little saddened to hear that Yasmin admits to caring about Stu? Then I don't think he is. I think that's just Roy's resting bitch face. <laughs> Well, we will see. Let's move on then to our final storyline for the evening, which is Mad Max Racist Road. On Monday, it's Max's first day at work tonight and Shona is super proud. And even David is also proud, although he hasn't actually said as much. But Max's first day at Speed Dial doesn't go perfectly. It's a busy, frantic day and it's made worse when Max bumps into Darren and they break a bunch of plates. Usually you get a little round of applause or a when that happens. Like that. Later, Max's day hasn't got much better and his trousers keep on falling down. Whoop. Whoop. Right, yeah, that was the funny thing. It's like Yasmin is constantly telling him to pull up his trousers and it's like, 
did is is this suddenly 1995 where all the kids are showing off their undies? Seems to be. Kids don't do that anymore. Let's face it though, Yasmin is just pissed that Alia could hire two waiters without talking to her first. Darian looks like he has some intelligence, she says, but Max is a fucking nightmare. Max overhears this and storms off to the community garden where Alia tracks him down. He tells her that he's quit. Alia wins Max over by telling him that the job is high stress, he's nothing special, and the job isn't exactly rocket science, and Table 7 need the running badges. And with a smile, Max goes back to work. Right, yeah. Max is able to clearly hear Yasmin in another room in a very, very busy, noisy restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After his shift, Max gets home with racist Kelly, explaining about his day and how Darian seemed to get on better with Yasmin. Racist Kelly hopes that Darian hasn't been shown special treatment, but before she can get any more racist, Shona appears out of nowhere to embarrass them both <laughs> by going on about how racist Kelly is Max's girlfriend now. Magic Shona. So the two of them quickly leave. Lovely racist girl, says Shona. She's so funny this week because she just kind of pops up like like magic. She's she's the magical Shona now. She even references pre-brain injury Shona. Right, yes. Which just made me sad for pre-brain injury Shona. Right, yes. It makes us miss her more. Mm. But also it's it's good that she can acknowledge pre-brain injury Shona and recognize that something happened to pre-injury Shona. Which was? Uh, watching Peppa Pig. No, getting shot in the stomach. Oh. We need her to acknowledge the fact that she got a brain injury from being shot in the stomach. If once she does that, I think I might make my peace with this whole thing. On Wednesday, Max is at Nina's Rolls getting breakfast, explaining to Shona that he's been given another chance by Alia and he doesn't want to let her down. Shona's very impressed. And at speed dial, Yasmin has a pep talk with Max, telling him that the restaurant business has a rite of passage, and so long as he puts in some hard work, he'll be fine and pull up your fucking trousers. On a break, he gets a text from racist Kelly that says that she'll see him after work and warning him not to stink a curry. so (sighs) bad. But she turns up early, and so he tells her to wait. Right, yeah. She's She's so offended by the smell of curry that she comes into the restaurant? Hmm, early. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. Alia tells Darian to give racist Kelly a drink on the house, but racist Kelly reacts very badly to Darian when he goes to talk to her. Max suggests that they get a meal. And doesn't mention a free drink to her. Mentions oh. Wi-Fi, but not say, hey, my boss has offered you a free drink on the house. What would you like to drink? No, he talks about the free Wi-Fi. And asks if she lives nearby. Right. And he's got his knee on one of the bench chairs behind the table. So he's kind of a, a really, he's at a weird angle when he's, yeah. when he's asking all this. Right. None of this excuses her reaction, but no. But one wonders how it would have went if Darren had done what Darren had been told to do. Right. <sighs> so she reacts badly. And when Max suggests that they get a meal and speed dial when he gets off work, racist Kelly suddenly isn't feeling well and yeah. insists that they leave. And for- Freaks the fuck out. Yeah. And she does actually, she's not pretending here, I don't no, think. No, she, she she looks genuinely terrified. Yeah. Because she's been groomed to be genuinely terrified. Right. Back at the racist HQ, racist Kelly's upset and in shock, blaming Max for leaving her alone with Darian in the curry house. Griff he is, was still working, you... Mm. Griff is there and he agrees that this was appalling behaviour from Max. 
Max insists that Darian's a good lad. Griff thinks that he could be up to all sorts. Racist Kelly thinks Darian was undressing her with his eyes. This is how it starts, says Griff. She never wants to go back. She says she was terrified. Then she pulls the what-you-don't-believe-me card, so Max has to say that he does believe her, even though he's looking confused as fuck. So Max and Racist Kelly go back to Speed Dial to confront Darian, telling him that he made Racist Kelly feel uncomfortable. Max acting like the big hard man in front of her. He eventually apologises, but this is seen by Alia, who tells Racist Kelly that Darian was only being hospitable and has got nothing to apologise for, and Darian is visibly upset by all this. So Racist Kelly and Max are hanging out in the, com- in the community garden when Darian passes by on his way home. He wants to sort things out and says that he didn't do anything wrong, and Alia backed him up on that. Well, your lot always stick together, says Racist Kelly. Forget it, says Darian, and he wanders off again, looking kind of upset by yeah, by the it, whole interaction. Yes. And Max is left looking like, what the fuck is this all about? Right, yeah. It, there's this brief moment where he seems to almost get it and to almost be ready to push Racist Kelly to the side. As soon as she says, your lot, his head snaps round to look at her. Yeah. And he's kind of taken aback by the whole right. thing. Right. So they go back to number eight and Max asks Racist Kelly what she meant by your lot. Racist Kelly says that she didn't mean anything by it and then asks Max if he would be interested in getting his hole. Max is interested in getting his hole, so forgets that Racist Kelly is a horrible racist and they go upstairs to do that. Right, yes. Yeah, she... Before that, though, she she does say something kind of like, well, you know, it makes sense for people to keep to their own kind. Or their own cultures and things, Or their own yeah. cult, yeah. And it's like, there's nobody more British on this show than Alia. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you? Hmm. But, you know, it's just... And he seems to kind of contemplate that, but I think it's because he knows that he's alone in his house with a girl. And so he, if... if I think his penis is doing thinking at this point. Right, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. So on Friday... Alia and Yasmin are opening up speed dial. Alia's worried that Max and Darren are on the same shift today after all that nastiness yesterday. She's concerned that Racist Kelly was being a bit racist. Then Darren comes in and fills Alia in on what happened after they left the restaurant. But I like that. All the your lot stuff. Alia says that she'll speak to Max, but Darren tells her to let it go. So Alia looks sad and holds coriander. Racist Kelly comes to number eight and is quickly ushered out by Max when Shona starts winding her up about her intentions for young Maxwell. So Max takes Racist Kelly to Nina's roles where he giggles and stares at her a lot until Alia comes in. She asks for a quick word. You know what? I, I do have to say it's it, it makes me kind of sad that Racist Kelly is, is racist because that scene where Shona and Nick are leaning against the counter... Yeah. And, by and, Lauren, and, I mean, uh, by Racist Kelly. Right, yeah. It was so cute, and it would be exactly what a stepmom and an uncle yep. would would do mm-hmm. and and say. And it was so nice. It, it kind of reminded me how Ryan w- had Addie's back with with the, the good Kelly storyline. Mm. You know, the non-racist Kelly right. storyline, because obviously... No, Non-racist Kelly was non-racist because she dated Addie. Right. <laughs> but, you know, so that kind of made me sad because it's like, it's so cute. And it's, and it's the kind of thing that I like when you show families being like families, yeah. which the Platts are very good at. And ripping the piss out of each other. Right. 
Racist Kelly denies saying any of that stuff to Darren, but Alia doesn't think he has any reason to lie. Max backs Racist Kelly up and she tells Alia and she tells Alia that she's the one making a problem where there isn't one and leaves. Alia submits that she doesn't like being called out for being racist. So Max drops into Racist HQ and Racist Kelly's dad is fuming because the college called to say that she skipped class. Then he gets a call from her. She's at her mate's. So Daddy tells Max to stay away. Racist Kelly has had enough bother from lads. And when he's gone, Griff asks Max what's up. And Max circles round to issue of Racist Kelly's racism. Griff says what Max is thinking. That Muslims stick together and the woke mainstream media feed Max a racist narrative when there isn't one. And Griff shows a video to show Max more information on the matter. Not like that. And it's a film... By Griff Reynolds, did you notice? It's, mm. he, he's made this film. It, it's inv- it involves an awful lot of shouting. Yeah, we don't get to see anything about what's happening. In right. This, this. But, but it seems to be sort of maybe like editing a whole bunch of film of film from things, horrible things that have happened to make it seem like all of a group of people are horrible. I'd kind of like to get a little bit more information on that. I don't need to see what's in the video, but maybe no. seeing Max's reaction a little bit more than his eyebrows going up, maybe being a little bit horrified, or maybe even right. a little bit sickened. Or he, yeah, he. I don't think we got an awful lot of that. So yeah, we we only got the bare minimum. Whoever was in the film makes Max look like he's a little queasy. Whatever it was was real, and the mainstream media is peddling lies. Says Griff, he has some links. I bet he does. And Max leaves to go back to work. And speed dial Max is clearly fuming with Darian. They're in the kitchen where there are a plentiful supply of knives. Alia asks Max for a word, but Max refuses and blames her for racist Kelly not speaking to him anymore. This sounds lovely way to speak to your boss. He puts some of his learnings from Griff to good use and says that she's sticking up for Darian because they're both Muslim and everyone's afraid to tell the truth. Their lot does stick together and he storms out. Right. Truth about what, Max? Right. <laughs> It's like he's been shocked by this video. Mm-hmm. Although, let's all be honest here. It's not the video that has tipped him over into being racist. No, it's Max's... It was his penis. Max's racist penis, yes. Yes. That tipped him over into being a racist. And, and because, his two testicles. Right. Because these people are cock-blocking him with his racist girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She won't talk to him anymore because he, these people who he's... Not Darian, but he's known Alia much longer than this. Well, he maybe hasn't known Darian for a long time. Right. But they seem to get along really well and be friends. Exceptionally well. Yeah. They seem very close. Like they've hit it off immediately. Because that that business from a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. when Max looked like he was having some some sort of racist right. feelings towards Darian getting his place at school, space at school yeah. seemed to have been put aside and and wasn't anything that was gnawing at Max any longer. Right, yeah, he, when they both made got his the peace job. With he, it. Yeah. And he was quite happy about the whole job thing right. being together, but... He had to go with his penis. He did, yeah. yeah well. Last week it was vaginas, folks. 
This week's it's penises. So Max storms out and Alia, for whatever reason, goes after him. She wants to know where this is coming from. Racist Kelly is deliberately getting this wrong because he's upset about Diary and taking his place at school and she's just deliberately trying to be divisive. But Max isn't interested but does seem genuinely upset when he realises that this is him and Darian done now because Darian says, look, you know what? I'm going to make this easier for you. Smell you later. Right. And wanders off. Yeah. This poor kid who is already, it's kind of implied that he's been through a lot of shit in his young life. Right. That maybe his brother has died. Oh, his, and him maybe and his, his brother have been separated. Right. Which is terrible, right? Right. Yeah. And... He, he does not need this aggro. Because <laughs> it means the only person that he knows is Maria. Alia goes and to Alia ne- now, and uh, Yasmin. Alia goes to Nina's roles to see Shona, and David is there too. And David has done something new with his hair. And she explains what's been going on the last couple of days with Max and racist Kelly. David is sure there's going to be a reasonable explanation to this, but promises to speak to Max later. David is hot now? Is he? He's got a bit of a tan. I think he's been on holiday. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the tan, because I was like, Wait a second. <laughs> David's kind of hot. Easy tiger. <laughs> How did that happen? At home, David catches Max before he goes out and confronts him with the allegations and asks for his side of the story. And Max doesn't really have much of a side to the story. No. Except for being a little bit racist and says, come on, you know what they're like. <laughs> David points out that Max didn't see the confrontation between Darren and racist Kelly. So Max has only her word to go on. Max is surprised, thinking that David would get it after the Josh stuff. So David has to ask Max if he's stupid. That was completely different. It doesn't matter. Max storms out, thanking David for his support, sarcastically and lightheartedly. Yeah, what happened happened to David was something that Josh actually did. Right. And also, Josh was a white dude. Hmm. Back at Speed Dial, Alia checks on Darren to make sure he's okay. Then David comes in to explain his chat with Max and how Max didn't really take it very well and accused David of being on their side. Alia doesn't think that Max is a bad person, but reckons that racist Kelly is bad news. Come on, it's in the name. Max finds far friendlier ears, though, with Griff and Spider at Racism HQ. Griff has a job for Max to put together a social media package for a talk that he's doing at the, a community centre, I think, next week. And he's going to give him a couple of hundred quid for that to make up for the fact that he's lost his job. Right. He also thinks Which that, is weird considering that Griff was able to make a whole movie by himself <laughs> but can't manage his social media. Well, again, we didn't get to see the movie. That's true. He also thinks that they should send a message to the curry house. What sort of message? Asks Spider. And I'll think of something, says Griff. So we see Alia locking up Speed Dial for the night and walking home. And as In she leaves, dark. a shadowy figure moves across the street and throws a bucket of red paint at the restaurant's front door. Then he slinks back away into the shadows. And after texting Griff to let him know that his subtle idea has been executed because that simply could not wait, the shadowy paint ninja is revealed to be Spider. Spider. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. This is more of an annoyance than anything else. What spider's involvement in it? No, the red paint. Oh, I, I, I hate the, well, we should send them a message. Well, what are we going to do? Well, I'll have to think about it. How long did you have to think about throwing red paint at the door? Right. Was that maybe the first idea you came up with? This kind of feels like I, I mean, we didn't, we didn't hear the whole conversation, but this kind of feels like something that maybe Spider suggested and he suggested that he do in order to... Not allow Griff to come up with the idea of bombing the place. And also, because let's remember, 
he wanted to bomb what's her name's car and wanted to bomb something else oh uh the the factory he wanted to bomb that yeah didn't didn't he initially say a protest's not enough we need to bomb the place I don't know if that actually happened or if I just said that for a joke. I can't remember. But he has mentioned bomb to the bomb bombs Right, yeah, because he wanted to bomb uh, Imran's mum's car. Because I think we were meant to think that uh, that it was going to be Max who'd thrown the paint. Right. So I think, again, this is why uh, Spider's doing it, is to make sure that Max doesn't end up doing it. Right. But because it's an Spider's interesting not going to end up in jail. But it's an interesting thing about the whole, the whole blown up Cyrus car. Uh-huh. Because that week, Griff said to her, your lot aren't welcome here anymore. Right. And I said, I think that was a little bit racist. And a lot of people said, nah, I don't really think that that was what they meant. It did right. sound racist, but I don't really think that's what he meant. Because at the time, we still thought that he was like this this eco-warrior who well, was against well, gas-guzzling cars. Well, I didn't, because I thought he was being racist. Well, a lot of us did. Because it didn't make sense for him to be racist. But I have to say that I'd forgotten all about that. If it wasn't for just random thoughts on Twitter. Tweeting it, yeah. Tweeting it and reminding me. I was like, oh yeah, I was right about something. (laughs) See, when it happens, I should remember it more often. Right. It's because it doesn't happen very often. (laughs) (laughs) So, Fridays in particular had had a warning at the start of it saying that there was some some difficult language and some difficult views being expressed right and i must admit it could have been an awful lot worse and and then in real life it would have been an awful lot worse but i still found it very uncomfortable to listen to Mm. it's almost like having characters in the show say these horrible things it's Mm kind of like the show saying these these horrible horrible things things, and it doesn't really sit very very comfortably with me um, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that they did it badly. I thought they did it actually pretty well. Yeah. And I thought that I, I actually would maybe have liked just a little bit more time being spent on the grooming aspect of it with Max. Right. I think it would have been a a bit of a more natural transition into it. I do agree. Well, it that, does kind of I feel like it is still transitioning, you know, because now, oh, you lost your job because we made you racist. Well, let us give you it because. Griff could have easily offered him that social media job last week before he even had a job at Speed Doll. It feels though that he started the week not on board with Griff and it ended the week with him being 100% on board with Griff. And that's thanks to his penis. And I felt that that, and I agree that getting Mm -hmm. the whole thing was a very important part of that. I would maybe I like to have seen a little bit more where he was kind of wrestling with these conflicting emotions where his right. brain is saying something and his penis is saying something else. Right. We didn't really get an awful lot of that. Yeah, we got very little of it and it was very easily, very quickly wafted away by just like one or two things said by racist Kelly. I I do find it interesting because it's it almost kind of seems like the show listened to us and a number of other people when we complained about the other racism stories that they've had, that they don't that they don't involve people in the show, that that they don't take those kinds of risks, and it feels like they're doing that now. Not just, not just with Max, but it it does kind of feel like David is wrestling with some things as well. Mm. That he almost he's 
just like right on the cusp of wanting to forgive Max and take Max's side because he was wrong about that one thing when he actually called the police that one time. So he's trying to make it up to Max. So he's trying very hard to give Max the benefit of the doubt when he's talking to Alia about the conversation he had with Max. Right, but what I expected to happen in that instance was for David to lie and say that he had a word with Max and hopefully that'll be the end of it. Right. But he didn't and he was up front and he said (coughs) that Max thinks that I'm taking your side in it and Mm -hmm. and I'm like one of you now sort Mm -hmm. of thing. So he didn't, I don't think he said the the whole gist of Mm -hmm. the exchange but I thought he gave enough of a truthful right. recollection of it. Yeah, but there <clears throat> Which I don't think he was going to do. Well, yeah, but there still doesn't seem to be a hint that David is going to take any action towards this, that he's not, you know, going to forbid Max from going to... Does he even know that he's going to Griff's house? No, he doesn't. He thinks he's going to the library, but... but David hasn't officially met racist Kelly yet. No, Shona has. But I think for... And I thought Shona's... Shona's... Especially her facial reaction to this when Alia is telling her Mm -hmm. and David all about this and everything was very good. Because here she's been all kind of cutesy about the whole racist Kelly thing. Cutesy, you know, and and given Max kind of teasing Max and giving him a little bit of a hard time and right. and calling racist Kelly his girlfriend and everything, so then it's it you know there's this there's this realization of oh shit, I've I've let this pariah into my house, and and did not you know didn't think to try to find out anything about this this girl just like oh isn't it cute young love blah blah blah. And I think we all do that sort of thing, don't we? Well, you don't. You, you're trying to make light a light-hearted comment mm-hmm. on it, or have a kind of joshing and a, a familial banter mm-hmm. with it, which means that all you're doing is you're kind of taking the piss out of Max. So Max wants to take her out of the house mm-hmm. immediately, right? So you don't get that second level of a conversation. And the only thing that they really have to go on is that racist Kelly is a very polite young lady when she's in the house meeting right. them. She's very yes. she's much very Mrs. Nice. Platt and, yes. and all that sort of thing. To the white people. Yeah. But going back to David though, you you're mentioning him being a little maybe not in denial but being very careful in his reaction. I thought right. David seemed on Friday and remember he's only really had today to process this. Right. Um was very angry and was standing in the way of Max leaving and was right. like, no, we're sorting this shit yeah. out here. Which was more, again, more confrontational than I was expecting to see from mm-hmm. him. So, right, but, it, and and that was really good. And it seems like he is absolutely like, no, we are not racist in this house. Yeah. Sort of thing. You know, and calling Max out on the false equivalency between his rape and racist kelly being racist which i have no idea what kind of equivalency was trying to go for there that no he was he was done ill by someone so therefore he should hate that someone was is that what it, I, I wasn't I, sure what, I, I don't know what, what the line was that was being I, drawn between those two things because yeah. it's not obvious 
No, but it was it was after he storms out, you know, and and stuff where it just because, you know, there's something in his voice when he says, well, he thinks I've just taken in with you a lot that that seems a little that seems a little sad, a little like, uh, you know, I keep trying to repair things with my son and it keeps busting up again. And and again, he doesn't. At, at no point during that does he say, right, you know, I don't know where you've been going. I don't know who this girl is, but I don't want you to see her anymore. Or I want you to, you know, if 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 you're or on the flip side, if you're right about fine, if you're right about this, bring her around. We'll all go to Speed Doll right. and, and and have a meal and talk this through. Yeah, and I don't think it's our time to really come to those sort of conclusions or, or suggestions. And I think no. at the moment what he's trying to avoid is making an order to Max, which Max is immediately going to ignore. Right. You can't go out. You can't see your friends. You can't see this girl anymore. And mm-hmm. he just does it anyway. Right. Because once he does that, you know, that's a very monumental moment in the relationship mm-hmm. where where he no longer can control what Max does. And yeah, I think we've we're already pro- passed that though, I, haven't I, we? I think I think we're if we haven't passed that, then we're very close to it. Because mm-hmm. there, we've had moments in the recent past where he's like, give me your phone and he's handed over his phone where you know, I think as a parent you're kind of worried what if he just refuses, what do I do? So I don't know. I think I think we'll see take in, it from him. In, the, in the coming week how this is going to fall. And I, I don't imagine it being pretty. And I wonder if it's going to become even uglier as far as the racism. Well, if they're doing it right, then it should. Yes. Yeah. It, it should have been. They should have taken more risks already. And it seems like there are, there are some people... There are some people who are, who are rightly complaining that they really need to... To make this believable, they need to kind of up the ante. There are, of course, other people on on the Twitter and elsewhere who are like, oh, the show's just trying to push us into wokeism, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, there's always going to be those kinds of people that are like, oh, the show is so left-wing now. You're you're limited in... The show has Ken. (laughs) You're you're limited in what you can do at uh, 8 o'clock in the evening. It's true. Soap opera, but... I, I don't think it's particularly woke off a show to say that racism is bad. No. If that's woke, then we should all be woke. Yes. And I, I don't understand where compassion for others is deemed to be a negative quality. But well, unfortunately, it, it, for a lot of people on both sides of the ocean, that is a negative quality if the person is a different shade of skin than yourself. So it would seem. I would like to just finish off our, um, our discussion on this point to just say how well I think it's been acted I think Paddy Bever is they are saying Beaver I think it's missing a name, Paddy anyway is I think doing a great job as Max and I think Griff is a really horrible hateful character and I think they're doing a, a, a great job not being exactly caricatures of uh, of racist people Right. and I think that, that, that think i still have my uh reservations about 
poor working class people being painted in in this light. Right, and and but for they, me, the confusion between eco warrior and and racist right wing get rid of the Muslims person, mm. it still feels weird. But I I agree, Griff has. I mean, there've been there've been some mustache twirling bits here and there, but for the most part, he seems. You know, it's been acted very well and very believable as someone who's just very gently kind of pushing this kid along this path. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think the girl who's playing racist Kelly is doing a good job, too, because, you know, that scene in Speed Doll, she genuinely looked terrified. Oh, she did. And, and she it's co- because, right. Covered herself up. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's because she's been groomed her whole life to believe that Muslims are evil. Right. You know, so she is genuinely terrified. She is genuinely scared. And I think she does genuinely think that that Darian did not have her best interests at heart. Right. And I think that's a very interesting aspect to this as well is where do racists come from? You know, and what? I think it was it was George Carlin who very famously said that, you know, you're not born a racist. Babies aren't racist. Mm. You know, they 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 want to be fed and they want to shit, and, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, the actress who's uh, racist Kelly is Kate Fitton, who had a role in the kids' TV show Giggle Quiz in 2013 alongside Justin Fletcher, aka Mr. Tumble. So. <laughs> Quite the departure from from that role into racist Kelly on the cobbles. Hmm. That was the week that was Coronation Street. Then, what was your moment of the week? I think it's Fizz with the publisher. Fizz's speech to the publisher. I was going to suggest uh, Sam with Nick and the it's never left line, but yeah, I think I think Fizz. Pleading her case to Hurbag Publisher is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your moment of the week. Summer taking folic acid. No, that was quite funny. It was. It was. It was so big. The packaging. Look, she's pregnant. <laughs> this box says so. Um, is it Billy whining to Todd? <laughs> About how he's not the important one anymore. Oh, was it Chesney? Just Chesney. <laughs> no, what did you say? What was what was your first one? Oh, I can't. Remember. You can't remember that. It was, it was. It was. Oh no! It was. It was Summer's folic acid. Fair enough. I can't think of anything else. Let's go with that. That was our boring moment, boring moment of, of the week. week. Well, I think that wraps she's that pregnant. Up. <laughs> I think that wraps it up. For another week. Yes. If you're pregnant, congratulations. <laughs> Buy us a coffee. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and also that Mastodon thing. Oh, we are on Mastodon. I thought we yeah. were on Discord. Are we on Discord? I haven't sorted that out yet. Okay. You can shout me in hell on the coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another Thank episode. You.
and we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.